Good morning. Thank you for this opportunity to share with you this morning and the privilege of sharing God's Word with you and telling you a little bit about Learn to Earn and the things that we are doing in Cape Town, in South Africa. I attended a, a big international evangelism conference in Amsterdam 2000. And one of the things that struck me about that conference was that a lot of emphasis was put on preaching Christ crucified. And uh, furthermore, emphasis was put on sharing the gospel and how to do that. But the one thing that struck me about the conference, and I left there feeling relatively disappointed, was the fact that there'd been this artificial separation of those that need to be evangelized, and then there was no talk about any kind of social concern or social action. And we've, over through specialization, we've separated mission into these little compartments of evangelism here, somebody doing a bit of that there, and somebody caring for the poor over here. And we don't see the connectedness anymore in what it is to reach out to people and to earn the right to minister to them, to share the gospel with them, and how that can grow a church. And so Learn to Earn is a response that I've been working on as to how the church can exercise a mandate, the early church mandate of remembering the poor. But in particular for me, Learn to Earn is, is set up in, in conjunction to the history of our country. I did a master's thesis on the restoration and dignity, the restoration of dignity and self-respect in a post-apartheid South Africa. And I had a look at what was the social issues, what was the philosophical, theological, anthropological, and historical foundations to apartheid, and what was, how was this in, in the social engineering, this uh, political system of segregation and separation, and, and how was that socially engineered, and how did that impact the church, limit its, its response in the community, but most of all, what impact did it have in society? And what is our role as a church in, in, in addressing those issues? And how do we go about it? Because when I was working in Kailita, which is what is called a township of about a million people, uh, that uh, many of them live in a, a, a corrugated iron um, shack, as it is referred to, that one of the shacks is about as big as the space where your, your um, uh, sound engineer is sitting over there, and that has uh, uh, four or five people uh, uh, living in that, in that little building. And it's divided into a bedroom and a little living area in the front. What is the response? And I, I, you go into that kind of community and you start talking about the, the gospel and the person says, well, apartheid or the political system of apartheid sold, was sold to us as a Christian system. And if that is Christianity, well, then God might as well die. I am not interested in that kind of God. So how do I, then, as a believer, live a faith that is different, express myself differently uh, to that which was purported to be Christianity? And just to give you a frame of reference, I've got a five-minute video. It was made in-house, so it's not all that slick, but uh, we are... Um, uh, quickly watch that so that it'll give you a frame of reference for some things that I'd like to share with you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I'm doing sewing now. I did baking right. and then I also did a one month course which is business skills. So you learn there how to save, how to keep your business growing because you, you start to think that you didn't know the difference between the needs and the wants. You see that when you have money you just need to spend it. Not knowing that okay these are my needs, these are my wants, not differentiate what is important. My name is Mrs. Omshorok. And when I have learned a lot of things. Firstly, I've learned to share my problems with some people and people who can comfort me. And I've learned to grow my, 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 I grow in spiritual because they told us about the Bible, the, uh, who is Jesus. And then in spiritual, we have grown a lot. And then the sewing class, I, I did a lot of things because I did the, the, the I did sew the skirt. I did sew the jacket, I did sew the bag. I didn't know nothing about the sewing, anything, but now I can do all these things. I love sewing for a long time. I wanted to, to be a fashion design. My name is Boneloma Kandega, I'm original from Eastern Cape, place called East London. I stayed at Kailicha, place called uh, Harare. That led to and I learned so many things. Firstly, I, they built up my spirit because I was a Christian before, but I didn't know that I've got so much spirit in me. They give me the faith, they, they give me how to know myself. Because of learn to end now, I'm studying at university, I'm doing a social worker. Each and every time they're coming in, I'm doing the register. Then after that, I'm taking the production from them. Each and every time they finish with thing, then I have to record that thing. And then I have to also get them the trims when they're going to do the bag. I must give them all the materials. I also did the wages for them. I'm doing stock taking. Uh, this is the thing that I'm doing here. Uh, my name is Isa Fono. I'm from the Eastern Cape. I live in the Zulichi Township. I wanted to do something with my life because I wasn't doing anything in the township. So I was motivated. Lentuan gave me some denim off cuts. Then from there I started making bags. And then that's how I, the idea came up that I would start my own business. I've got one person who's helping me full time and that person is like now doing my bags. So if I'm busy working on something else then can carry on with my bags. Oh, the dream for my business is to is to see is to see Zook's manufacturing being a successful business, employ more people. I mean more people in the business means more success in the business. And maybe even export some of my products as well. My name is Geovet Mchanyaras, the entrepreneurship program, which is the, which is the EQ program, which is started in uh, 2010. We were fortunate enough, we managed to get a contract with Kuroskum. Right, um, it was in July 2010. That was our first contract. Now we are, we are cooking for about 180 kids, as well as Sansa, and also some uh, hotels also, they are coming on board as well. Uh, because we've got like the Windsor Hotel, they just do bed and breakfast. So we are providing the meals for, for the conferences. This is the, my last year. It has been a long journey, three year course. <laughs> so next year I'll be starting my own uh, business on other premises. So it's, uh, I'd like to thank Ellen uh, for that. Uh, I'd like my business to grow. Yeah, because um, for now I'm employing about uh, four people. So I would like to employ more people and then expand if possible into Cape Town as well.
were they playing carpet bowls? When I ever go away, they start playing carpet bowls in the office and don't do any work. <laughs> got to watch the staff. I've got a camera there that I can log in and see what they're doing. The apartheid government said to the church, your responsibility is not worry about the person and their circumstances, just to worry about their soul. And that's your role as the church. But fortunately, the church uh, didn't listen to that, and the church played a significant role in opposing apartheid. Yet there were still some that uh, didn't speak out and, and remained complacent in that role. What also disturbed me was when I um, had finished theological studies in South Africa and I went uh, to Chicago for two years to have a look at a few inner city um, ministries and study some of the um, urban issues. And I was returning to South Africa and I had agreed to go and work in Kailicha from Chicago to Kailicha. Quite a journey, quite a, me a mental shift that needed to be uh, made. Some of my colleagues said to me, oh, well, what are you going to go and work with the, the, the poor for? What are you going to work with the unemployed for? You are far too qualified for that. And I was horrified by that kind of perspective, is since when is somebody too qualified to work with the unemployed or the poor? Paul, the apostle in Galatians, yeah, he goes up to Jerusalem, and he's been ministering for 14 years. And he's going up there to to go and uh, meet with Peter and the council there, and they're going to have this watershed discussion on theology. And the very first thing that they discuss in this passage is they are going to discuss uh, and debate this doctrinal difference where some are trying to get people to be imprisoned again into legalism. And they have this debate around grace and, and legalism and where they're saying, well, if you're a Gentile and you come to faith, well, you don't have to be circumcised. It's not about the outward appearance. And that's a significant debate in, in this passage. We almost think that the mandate uh, of remembering the poor at the end, at, in verse 10, is unrelated to that debate. But how often are we today so caught up in that legalistic debate of grace and legalism? How often do we only want to associate with like-kinded people? We're only happy to have our church with, uh, uh, filled with people that we're comfortable with. Uh, I've been in numerous churches and also been in, in a, a numerous uh, consultation situations where uh, churches are, are having an outreach ministry to the people on the street. And they even rent a, a separate facility to do this exercise when there are three or four churches that are involved in this outreach ministry within a mile of, of that context. Not even a mile, probably half a mile. And they have all these wonderful facilities. And I said to them, why are you separating the poor from the church? Why do you want to reach out and have this separate facility? You've got all these wonderful facilities. Why don't you bring the poor in there and allow them to integrate and, and pair them up with, with people that are, are, are doing a right and are growing in their faith to mentor those? Well, I wasn't very happy. Uh, well, they weren't very happy with me. But I've seen it time and time again. And in that one particular service, a lady came in and she was at the back and she said, Lord, thank you that this is a little bit different to the church I went on to on Sunday where they made me sit at the back. A friend of mine in, in the U.S. got dressed up as, a, as a, a street person, as a vagrant, and went to uh, one of the churches there, and he was chased away. He, the, they called the police and they took him away. That's what we've become 
as a church. But the early mandate was to care for the poor. And that's how legalistic we've become. We, we look at somebody and we say, you are only a Christian if you fit this mold. If you look like this and you, and you like this and you like this and you like that. That's it. We need to be careful that we continue to celebrate grace and not become prisoners of legalism again. The second thing that, that what happens at this council in Jerusalem is... They, it's a wonderful affirmation of mission and God's calling for people going into mission. And Paul and, um, Paul and uh, Peter, we see this wonderful expression of fellowship where Peter and Paul meet each other and they say, yes, we just want to confirm that God has called us to serve him for the same purpose. Just the audience is different. Peter, you are going to the circumcised. Uh, Paul, you are going to the uncircumcised. God has called us to go to various uh, places to be his missionaries, to be his mouthpiece. We need to not see it as competition. We need to see it as affirming and working together for the kingdom of God. There's no separation that the circumcised is better, it's more honorable. You, uh, if you're qualified, you go and work with those. If you're unqualified, there was very few more qualified than Paul. Yet, he went and worked with the uncircumcised. We must be careful that we allow common sentiment and what is in vogue and what's in fashion to go and determine where God is calling us and what we think is the mission. I'm always surprised that God is always in the business of upward mobility. A pastor is always called to a bigger church. I find very few pastors that get called to a smaller church. Um, I find it very strange that God is in this upward mobility business. The third thing that God is, and I want to spend a little bit of time on it, and I've probably got about another 10 minutes. They said I can go to 10 past 11, and so according to my Seraphim clock, it's only five past, uh, five past six, so we're here a little while. Um, so enjoy the ride, get comfortable, don't worry. I've spoken to all the lecturers, they said it's fine. The mandate, remembering the poor, and Paul and Peter, Peter, Paul says, the thing that I was very eager to do. That was not even debated. It wasn't discussed. It was accepted as the norm. There existed a firm understanding of God's grace, that God's grace is about reaching out to everybody and the less fortunate especially. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So we're looking at Galatians 2.10. I can only remember things in the easy sort of sequence. So Galatians 2.10, mandate to the poor. Who should go? Ephesians 2.10. Why did we receive the grace? So that we are God's workmanship to go and do the good works he's prepared in advance for us to do. All he's asking us is obedience. He's not asking us for some sort of fantastic skill set. He's prepared the good works for us to go and do uh, in advance. And we need to get out there and go and do that. And that's what I have found in uh, my journey with Learn to Earn. I remember sitting in this double garage in Kailicha with a few sewing machines around me. And um, in the winter, if it rained, because it was built in an inappropriate area, uh, which is a bit of a floodplain in the winter, the water table would rise and sewage would push up the sewage uh, pipes and and you can picture the scene. And I was sitting there and I was saying to God, you know, one is, one is how do I fund this? 
don't have a church to make them feel guilty to give me money. And uh, he said, well, you know, one is we don't make them feel guilty. We're about building dignity and self-respect. So our, our approach is not making anybody feel guilty for who they are, rather to invite people to join us. But he said, do you want to, why do you want to limit my resources to that of one congregation when I own the cattle on a thousand hills? Do you believe that? Then why? There are many Christians that are helping many businesses uh, make their money. Why can they not support the kingdom of God? And it's been amazing to see. I started uh, uh, 19 years ago with $900 equivalent Canadian. And uh, not once have we been in debt. You've seen the facilities on, on, the, on, the, on the, we own those buildings, they're debt free. Uh, we have a turnover of about 20 million a year. Uh, that's ran, so about uh, $2 million in terms of revenue. And those buildings are valued about $2.5 million. And uh, that's through God's provision. I've seen many organizations that are wanting to do something about the mandate to the poor. They'd say, oh, no, we can't um, say we're Christian. We can't put it out there that we're a Christian organization reaching out to any unemployed person because people won't support us. And it's been fascinating to watch now through the economic crisis how many of those are struggling financially. We serve a sovereign God. Do not limit what God can do through you by what you think is available to him in terms of resources. God wants to do much more. The other thing about being God's workmanship is that you've got no reason to brag. You've got no right to brag. First Peter 2 says, if you indulge in the message, it says, if you indulge the ego, you do that at the expense of the soul. If you indulge the ego, you do that at the expense of the soul. And I look back and I remember the second question I had for God sitting in the garage there was, so who would join me? Because at that time... Uh, 19 years ago, working in the township, you were con- and if you were white, you were considered mad, lost, or stupid, or all the above. And uh, many pe- uh, and people would question what I was doing then. As I said, one of my former seminary professors said to me, well, "You're too qualified to be working with the poor. What are you doing there?" And I, I remember saying to God, "So, and who else would join me? Who else would join me?" Well, you've seen the staff there, about 42 staff. I've said when they get to 50. Uh, 50 staff, I'm retiring. So they said to me, quickly appoint the other eight. <clears throat> but the one day, I was sitting in our, in our staff room, and as the staff were coming in, I thought, where do all these people come from? And like that, God reminded me of what I'd said a few years before. And he said, you asked who would join you, now you want to know where they come from? If we refuse to listen to the cry of the poor... Your own cry for help will not be heard, says Proverbs 21, verse 13. Isaiah says, what kind of Christianity, what kind of fasting uh, is it that I want? Remove the chains of the oppressed and the yoke of injustice and let the oppressed go free. Share your food with the hungry and open your homes to the homeless poor. Give clothes to those who have nothing to wear and do not refuse the help of your relatives. James warns us about favoring the rich at the expense of the poor and, and, and perverting the gospel when we favor the rich and give them special treatment. Let us not forget the mandate of the poor. I'm not going to take you, time doesn't permit, but go through Acts. Go through Acts chapter 2. Go through Acts 
chapter 4, go through Acts chapter 6, and see how the early church grew daily in their numbers as they reached out to the poor. And as they ministered to the poor, God added to their number daily. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, and Acts chapter 6. Take, take a look at those. But why has the church failed in caring for the poor? So often we, uh, I have discussions with people and they say, well, just give some money and then my conscience is free. In Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John are going up to the temple and the beggar has been placed at the gate, not for the benefit of the beggar, the beggar was placed at the, at the gate to the temple, the entrance to the temple, for the benefit of the Jewish people that were going in there, the Pharisees. Because they wanted to be seen to be spiritual, holy, by giving money to the beggar. They had no intention in terms of changing that beggar's situation. They had no plan for that. Their plan was to use the poor for their own edification, for, for them to look better. Peter and John come along. The beggar is so, his dignity is so destroyed, he doesn't even look up. He hears somebody coming along and he says, he cries out, you know, give me arms, give me arms. And Peter and John say, look at me. Look at me. Let, what we, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have, we give to you. Get up and walk. And then you read about him going into the temple and from the text, it's almost implied that this is the first time he ever enters into that temple. Let us not be Pharisaic in our approach. Let us remember that mandate that the early church had of ministering to the poor. Do not get inconvenienced as an excuse. Do not appease your own conscience by taking the easy route. Get alongside the poor. Because from a learn-to-earn perspective, we talk about that uh, we shouldn't just talk about poverty, people lacking in money, but we should talk about poverty as a plural, poverties. Because you can have money, but you can be incredibly poor in a sense of belonging, in a sense of family, in a sense of integrated, where people in Kailicha that are poor are rich in that. We need to realize that we can learn from each other. We can minister to each other. Some might not have money. Some will have money. But they, we have different things that we can give to each other. So do not give up on ministering to the poor. It is hard work. Yes, I've been taken for a ride. Oh, the money was asked for, this and that. That's because we've allowed ourselves to be exploited because we just want to give money to appease our conscience. A friend of mine had the opportunity to meet Mother Teresa, and he had one question for her. He asked her, what was the most difficult thing that you've ever done? She said, the first time I stopped to pick up a dying child. Because the second time it was easier. The third time it was easier. And so I want to encourage you, is remember you're never over too qualified to help those less fortunate than yourself. And that first time is the most difficult. But once you've done it once, it becomes easier and easier. So as you prepare and as you go out there, whether it's in business or whether it's in ministry, and that there should be no separation of those two, that remember the poor as an early church mandate to all of us as believers. Thank you for this opportunity. May God bless you.